Okay, uh, Luke chapter 15, that's where we're at today. Um, I want you to imagine uh, your, your worst enemy. Uh, when you have that person in your head, I want you to visualize them. Put your thumb up just so I know you're tracking with me, your worst enemy. Some of y'all put your thumbs up real, real quick. Okay, um, so you got your worst enemy in your head. I want you to imagine tomorrow you go to Broadway Cafe. If you go to Broadway Cafe, chances are I'm going to be there, okay? It's my office. I'm trying to go there enough to where they name something on the menu after me, okay? I don't know how much money I'm going to have to spend to do that, but I'm on the way. You go to Broadway, you see me at the corner booth, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go and talk to Jeff, tell him what an awesome job he did on Sunday. And so you're approaching me. And then you see that I'm sitting with your worst enemy. How would that make you feel? For many of us, me included, I, I would have problems with that. That, that would kind of rub me in the wrong way. And that's exactly where we find Jesus here in Luke chapter 15. Uh, the Bible says that sinners and tax collectors had gathered around him. Now, uh, these are sinners and tax collectors who once lived a rotten, dirty, terrible, hateful, hurtful way, but they had since met Jesus, and they had changed their life. They, they're, starting to, they're, they're trying to do things the Jesus way. Okay, so these are not just sinners living in active, willful, known sin. These are sinners who have repented, okay? And that's key to understand this. We don't serve a God who just puts up with anything and everything, okay? You need to understand that. We don't serve a God who is a, a doormat and is just going to get walked all over. We serve a God who is both gracious and perfectly just, okay? We serve a God who is, is, is truth and grace, it's justice and mercy, okay? And it's important that we live in that tension and in that place. And so he's a God whose grace he, he'll identify a sin. He'll say a sin is bad, but his grace is greater than the sin. And so he welcomes sinners, and he works to restore and redeem them, okay? And so that's what we see. We see a group of sinners. They've gathered around Jesus. And then we have a group of righteous people. Now, these righteous people are, they do things the right way. You know, these are good, honest, hardworking people. Now, their heart's in the wrong place, as you'll see as we work through this. Um, but they look at those sinners, and those sinners have negatively affected their life in real tangible ways. And so they view these sinners as enemies. And it bothers them to see Jesus spending time with these sinners. Jesus picks up on their frustration and he tells three stories back to back to back. We talked about the first two stories the last couple of weeks. Uh, the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost son. Over the next three weeks, I wanna focus on the last story Jesus tells, the story of the lost son. Now I just wanna summarize it real quickly. Uh, the story of the lost son is about a father who has two sons. Uh, the younger son comes to the father, and he basically says, uh, I don't really want you, but I want your money. Go ahead and give me my inheritance uh, so I can do what I want with it. And so the father surprisingly obliges his request, and this younger son takes all of this inheritance money, all of his daddy's money, and the Bible says he runs off to a distant land and he wastes it on wild living. Equivalent, he goes to Vegas, he spends it on prostitutes and drugs and gambling. And it's all gone. It's all gone. And the moment the money dries up, all his friends run away. That's kind of how things work. That's kind of convenient, right? And this guy, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any money. doesn't have anything to live on. 
no food, and he hits rock bottom. And the Bible says he's living in a pigsty. And it's in this moment he comes to a census, and he realizes it was better in my daddy's house. And so he humbles himself, and he makes his way back home, and his plan is to apologize to the father. And once the father sees him, the father does something very surprising. He welcomes the son back. He accepts his apology. He restores him fully, and then he throws a big welcome home party for the son. And that's where we get to in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25. This is what I want to focus on today. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to the father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, the father replied, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, an opportunity for us to gather together with our church family and be encouraged, Lord, by your presence, be encouraged by your word, and be encouraged by this fellowship. Lord, I pray that you'll come and you'll meet with us in a very real and tangible way. We all have different needs. We all have different wants. We all have different hurts and hang-ups. And Lord, um, we can't sort these things out. We can't really fix these things, not, not ourselves. We've tried that. Uh, we're just not strong enough. We're just not smart enough. We don't, we don't have the willpower, Lord. We don't have the understanding. And even if we did, Lord, we'd find some way to mess up. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll come and you'll speak through me and that we'll all be receptive to what you'd have for us today. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and just pray for the people in this room. Pray for the people that are watching online, that the right people will hear this message. Pray for Tuesday, the election, that God's will be done in Winchester as it is in heaven. Pray for the candidates. Specifically, pray for Jada, one of our own. Pray that the Lord's will be done in her life. Take a moment and pray for yourself. You can pray something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I want to focus today on the older brother um, because I I think I know most of you, and I'd love to get to know all of you a little bit better, but I know most of you, and knowing most of you, I think most of us will relate most closely with the older brother. Uh, In Luke chapter 15, verse 25, the older brother uh, it says, was not in the uh, jailhouse. He wasn't in the crack house. He wasn't in the 
prostitute's house. He was in the field working late into the day. And then as he came home, he heard music and dancing. So this is a guy who's hardworking and honest and tries to do things the right way. Many of you are Christians. You've been Christians for your whole life. Maybe most of you are Christians. You've been Christians for a good part of your life. And so you have a desire to do what's right and to do what's good. Most of you I know to be honest and hardworking people, and you want to make the father proud. And so you can relate to the older brother who's not out gallivanting. He's not out wild living. He's not tempted by that. He's more tempted to take a nap, you know, than he is by wild living. And so you can relate to that. And so as he comes up to the house, the other older brother, he hears a party. Now, this must have been a wild party because look, it says that he heard music and dancing. I've never seen dancing that you can hear, but that's got to be some wild dancing, okay? This is a big-time blowout party to end all parties. And so he does what many of you would do in the same situation. Verse 26, so he summoned one of the servants and questioned what these things meant. So he calls to the house, and he asks the servant who comes to him, he says, what kind of party is this, right? Because a good, honest, hardworking, God-fearing man a good Christian man like me is not going to go to a powder, a white powder party. I'm not going to go to a throw your keys in a fishbowl party. I'm not going to go to some wild party. No self-respecting, God-fearing man does that. He's a good boy. You can relate to that. Verse 27, your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has come back safe and home, safe and sound. So, the older brother finds out this is not just any party. This is a welcome home party for your younger brother. Now, remember, this is the irresponsible and selfish younger brother. This is the brother that takes advantage of the parents. This is a brother who does things no self-respecting man should do. This is the deadbeat brother. This is the dead to me, I never want to see you again brother. Are you tracking with me? And he gets a party. Verse 28. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. Now, for some of you, I'm all up in your Kool-Aid right now. I could stop right here because it, you relate to this guy, don't you? I know I do. In that same situation, how many of you, this makes sense, right? Makes sense. I'd be angry too. The other church that I served at, I was there for 10 years. There was a lady that started coming. It was a mother and her children. The father, the father didn't come to church. You'll understand why in a second. They loved the church. They were there every Sunday. And uh, she'd be in tears at the end of service. It was just so life-giving for her. And after every, every time, after, after every Sunday, she would come and just say, thank you so much. I, I've needed this. This is blessing me so much. And uh, she just loved it. And she came for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, she disappeared. And I didn't see her for weeks and weeks. And so I called her and I said, what's going on? You know, we really miss you. And, you, and, you know, we, we want you to be part of the church and be part of the church family. And she said, well, I do love the church and it, and it blessed me. But there's a woman that I found out that goes to your church. And she's a home-wrecking woman. She's had an affair with my husband in the past. And uh, she said, I hate that woman. And it makes me sick to look at her. And I can't be anywhere near her. And because she's going there, 
because she's there, I'm not going to be there. Now, this woman that she was referring to had since become a Christian. So this happened years ago. She had since become a Christian, and she is not at all the same person that she used to be. Even still, even still, I understand where the loving mother is coming from. Can't you? I understand it. But this is what Jesus is teaching us, and this is a hard lesson. Let me tell you, preparing for this Sunday has kicked my hiney, all right? This is a hard teaching because what Jesus is saying is no matter how reasonable your position against this sinful person is, you may be able to justify it in your mind, but to be unforgiving and bitter and angry is not where the Father wants you to be. That's why the Father comes out and pleads with the Son. He doesn't want the Son out there pouting, out there angry, out there bitter, out there unforgiving. You see, if we can't celebrate the worst sinner turning away from their sin, surrendering to Jesus, and walking in new life, it's a sign that we are far from the Father's heart. And it's a, it's a sign that we're in danger of committing a sin that is even worse than wild living. Let me explain. Verse 29. The older brother replied to the father, Look here. I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me so much as a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. The younger brother was guilty of self-centeredness. He was guilty of self-indulgence. The younger brother was. But the older brother was guilty of maybe a worse sin, a more deadly sin, the sin of self-righteousness. The younger brother guilty of self-centeredness, the older brother guilty of self-righteousness. You see, self-righteousness is more dangerous than self-centeredness because the younger son knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was distant, he was separated from the father. He knew he wasn't where the father wanted him to be because he wandered off to a distant land. The physical separation, he knew he wasn't where the father wanted him to be. It's an obvious sin. The older brother didn't know how far he was from the father because they lived in the same house. You see, self-righteousness will have you in the church house, have you in the Bible, have you in prayer every single day and not aware that you're a million miles away from the father. This man, the older brother, he lived with his dad. He claimed to love his dad. He believed himself to be a loyal son. But the moment the father did something that the older brother didn't agree with, what was the older brother's response? He got angry. He got angry. And he doesn't just get angry at the situation. What does he get angry at? He gets angry at the father. Now all of a sudden, he brings accusation against the father. He brings a, a, a spirit of, I know better than you, to the father. And he says to his father, Look, like, look here. How many of you talk to your parents that way? I don't see very many hands. You know why there's not very many hands raised? Because those kids are dead. They've been murdered, okay? You don't talk to your parents that way, right? But this man, 
He brings accusation. He says, look here. Because he doesn't have a father-son relationship with his dad. Instead, he has adopted a different type of relationship. He says to to the father, I have been slaving for you for many years. See, he doesn't have a father-son relationship. He has a slave-master relationship with the father. The older brother viewed his relationship with his dad as a transaction. If I obey your orders, if I follow your rules, then it's your obligation to provide for me my wants and needs. You see, the source of a self-righteous spirit is a transactional approach to God. It's this idea, and and listen, this is what's common. This is the the default setting for most humans because this is how we understand the world. And so we approach God like, God, I've got to earn and deserve my place with you. And so if I do good, God, you are obligated to do good to me. And if I don't do bad, God, you are obligated to not allow bad to happen to me. It's transactional. I do this, and God, you pay me back with this. Now, if you're not good at following the rules, you won't be good at the transactional approach. This is our default setting. This is the way most people initially, this is how they think about their relationship with God. And if you're not good at following the rules, you're going to be bad at this approach. And if you're bad at this approach, you'll drift from the Father into moral depravity, because this is what you'll say. You'll say, well, I'm, I'm never going to be as good as the older brother. I'm never going to earn what the older brothers earn, so why even try? I'm just going to run off and get whatever I can get out of this life while I can. I'm, I'm just going to take what I can get out of this life, because I can't earn it. I'm no good at following the rules. The older brother, he was good at following the rules. How many uh, oldest children I have in here, firstborns? My people. My wife and I are both firstborns. Difference between firstborns and lastborns is not that we're perfect. It's that we're too smart to get caught. That's, that's what it is, okay? But we're good at, at least appearing like we're following the rules. We're good at that. And uh, because we're good at it, then we start thinking, that God is somehow, that the Father is somehow indebted to me. And, and actually, you drift from the Father in following the rules to a T and thinking you've got this transactional approach. You drift from the Father not into moral depravity, but into moral superiority. The Son says to the Father, I never disobeyed you. I, I followed the rules all of my life. I have lived perfectly, which leads to an entitled spirit. He says, I've slaved for you all these years. I was the perfect son, but you didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. I, this is what he's saying, I deserved better than that. Transactional. I did good. You didn't do good to me. Not in my eyes. I did bad, and you've allowed this bad son to come back. This isn't right. Listen how this plays out in your life. Maybe you can relate to this. God, I've been faithful in reading my Bible, in praying, in doing the right things. And I've gone to the doctor, and they've told me I'm sick. They told me I have a disease. And here's this, my neighbor 
is this wild living, doesn't do anything right, cheats on their spouse, lying, cheating, no good for nothing, and they're healthy. I'm sick. They're healthy. I deserve better than that. God, I I went to church every single Sunday. I made the Sabbath holy. And when I came to church, I put money in the offering plate. I honored you with my wages. And I've worked hard at work. I have worked so hard. I've been a faithful employee. And I put in for this promotion. And I get overlooked. But this lazy man who doesn't do anything right and cheats everyone, he gets the raise. He gets the corner office. I deserve better than that. God, I brought my kids to church every single Sunday. We did devotions in my house. I paid for them to go to church camp for 12 years in a row. And now they've gone off to college, and they don't believe in you anymore? The one thing that I ask you for and you don't deliver, I deserve better than that. Do you see? How the spirit of moral superiority will pull you away from the Father. That entitled spirit will cause you to drift from the Father, and it will cause you to hate your brother. Look at verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Did you pick that? Do you see that? That's what I say to my wife when my kids are acting a fool. You better do something with your kids. Do you see it? He said, this son of yours. He's no brother of mine. He's dead to me. I don't want anything to do with him. I would rather have the calf than have him. I wish he would go away, and I wish you'd give me the calf. Self-righteousness encourages us to look at other people as if they're our competition to look at other sinners who have repented as if they're a competition or as if they're our enemy, as if there is a limited number of seats at the Father's table, as if our access to God and our value as a person is dependent on how we stack up compared to others. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids are kind of bad for this. A few weeks ago, we went to a, a horse competition. My oldest daughter, she rides horses. And I was really impressed, first of all, that she can even get up on that thing uh, and ride it around. I mean, it's a big animal, and she gets it to jump over these things. I was blown away. And so on the way home, I'm bragging on her. I'm like, Ella, you were awesome. I didn't even get the sentence out. My two youngest daughters are there in the car with me. And do you know what they said? I bet you can guess. I said, Ella, you were awesome. And they said, but, Dad, what about me? Do your kids do that? What about me? Aren't I awesome? I said, meh, average. (laughs) I don't want my girls in competition with one another. Parents, you get that, don't you? I don't want my girls trying to defeat or trying to one-up each other. I don't want my girls feeling threatened by the other's success. I don't want that for my girls. I want my girls united with one another. I want my girls supporting one another. I want my girls to be able to celebrate one another. Now, if that's true of us, we all all agree as parents, that's what we'd love to see. If that's true of us, how much more true is that of our perfect heavenly father? 
You see, the father doesn't want his children angry and alone, pouting in the dark while there's a party going on inside. He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you arrogant and entitled and hateful towards these, your other brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't want you separated from him and separated from one another. So the father, because that's not what he wants for his children, the father goes out to the older brother. So this is the story of the lost son. But it's really a story of two lost sons, isn't it? The shepherd lost one sheep out of 99, and he went and found the one that got away, didn't he? The woman, she had 10 coins, she lost one of them, and then she went in search of the coin that was lost. The father lost two sons. Here's this one, he's outside the party, and what does the father do? He goes in search of his lost son, the self-righteous one. Now, what that means for all of you in this room, and for me, who this is a temptation, this is a struggle for all of us who have been following Christ for a long time and we take our faith seriously, here's the good news today. There is grace and forgiveness for the wild child. There is also grace and forgiveness for the self-righteous son. The father comes to the older brother and he shares with him the truth. And the Bible says that the truth sets us free. The Bible says we are uh, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we got to get the truth. In order to get the truth, we'll be changed. And so if you grab hold of this truth, it will melt that self-righteous heart in you. Here, here's the truth, verse 30, 31. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. I just envision this scene as the father going out to the older brother, putting his arm around him and just saying to him, you're not my slave. You're not my hired hand. You're not my business partner. You are my son. And you're my son, not by virtue of your efforts and achievements. You are my son by virtue of birth and blood. Christians, listen to me. You are not a hired hand of God. This is not a transactional relationship where you've got to work for him and earn your place in the kingdom where you've got to work for him and earn the favor, earn the forgiveness, earn the blessings. This is not a transactional. You are not a hired hand of God. Listen to me. You are a child of God. Not by virtue of your good works and your morality and your understanding of theology. You are a child of God by being born again and by the blood of the Lamb. Romans chapter 3, Paul He talks about this at great length, and he says two things I want to point out to you today. He says, no one is made right with God by the works of the law. In other words, you can't earn your place in the kingdom. You can't earn and deserve the blessings and the forgiveness of God. It's impossible. Verse 22, the righteousness of God, a right relationship with the Father, comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So your standing with the Father is not dependent on your ability to follow rules. Your standing with the Father is dependent on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if that's true, if that's true that we can't earn our place with God, you can't earn it and deserve it, it's a gift that's given by a relationship that you have with him, 
Our, 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 our relationship is dependent on blood and birth. We're born again in Jesus Christ. We're washed in his blood. If that's the truth, then on what grounds can we boast? On what grounds can we stand outside the party and say, I deserve that party. They don't deserve that party. On what grounds? On what grounds can we, we say, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be saved. I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to be blessed, but they don't. On what grounds could you ever go up to any person who wanders into this room and say, you don't deserve to be here? On what grounds? See, there's no grounds for a self-righteous spirit. There's no grounds for moral superiority. There's no grounds for being holier than thou. It is all by the grace of God. It is all by the blood of Christ. It is all by the will of the Father. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do today, if you haven't already. Give up the transactional approach to God. Throw it away. Stop thinking about your relationship with God in those terms. Stop working for the Father out of obligation. Like, I got to go to church, and I got to read my Bible, and I got to pray, and I've got to do all the right things, or God is going to reject me. It's not going to get you there. And, And don't worry about what the prodigal son, what everybody else deserves or doesn't deserve. Get that out of your mind. God's not grading on a curve. This isn't a performance review, how many sales you've made according to, uh, uh, against how many sales they've made. And don't get angry when you don't get what you thought you were entitled to. Throw away the transactional approach and instead just be glad that you are a son of the Father. Do you see the difference? He's not a boss that I work for, and he's obligated me. He's my dad, and he loves me, and so I'm going to serve him out of appreciation. The prodigal, he had to go to a distant land, and he had to lose all of his money, and he had to fall flat on his face. He was abandoned by all of his friends. He was living in a pigsty. He, he is eating slop. He had to go all the way there and experience all that tragedy to learn it was better in my father's house. I pray that you don't have to hit rock bottom to learn that simply having a relationship with the Father in heaven is the greatest blessing you could ever ask for. And if you have him, you have everything you need. The Father says, you're my son. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. You're my son. You're a child of God. It doesn't get any better than that. Like, if you're already a child of God by being born again and washed in the blood, what else can you be elevated to? Right? God is saying to you today, I love you as much as I can love you. I can't love you anymore. You're my son. You're my daughter. You can't earn any more love. I just love you. I can't 
wish better for your life. I can't desire more for your life than I already do. I'm your father. And you have me. Because you came to me and you said, Dad, I'm sorry. I just, I just want to be a slave in your house. And, and I said, okay, you got me. And because you have me, I'm going to take care of you because you're my child. And I love you. And nothing's going to change that. And so, friends, if that's the case, then why would you be upset that he invites other children back into the house? Why would you be upset? Why would you be upset that he's willing to forgive them, that he's willing to accept them? It doesn't take anything away from you. It doesn't minimize your position in his house. It just speaks to his goodness. It speaks to his grace. God isn't a means to an end. You get that? The inheritance isn't the goal. That's the way they were looking at it. The younger son and the older son. The inheritance was the goal. It's wrong. And you know it's wrong. How many of you have lost a parent? Let me ask you a question. Would you give up all of your material wealth to have your parent back? Yeah. Why? Why? The inheritance isn't the goal. It's the relationship. It's the relationship. It's not, I'm not just trying to avoid hell. I'm not just trying to get to heaven. I want to be united with the Father. I want to be in his presence. I want to be connected. He is the source of all the blessings. And so all the good things that you want, you think you want the fattened calf. You don't want the fattened calf. You just want the Father. That's what your soul longs for. And if you have him, what more could you ask for? If you have him, what do you have to complain about? Verse 32. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. The prodigal son was dead. He was separated from the father. He's been born again, back into the family. He had lost his way, but now he's right where he belongs. And so the dad says to the older brother, we had to celebrate. It was, we, we had to. It's the only proper response because the ultimate goal was accomplished. The family's whole. Everybody's back. And I'm happy. As the dad, I'm happy. And because I'm happy, if you love me, you should be happy too. Friends, you can choose today to focus on what you think you earned and deserved. You can choose today to get angry because the Father isn't operating according to your sense of judgment and justice. And you can pout alone in the dark. But it is possible, and Jesus says here, it's preferable in God's eyes that you desire and celebrate your long-lost brothers and sisters coming back home. It's possible and preferred in God's eyes that you view the once sinful woman who has hurt you not as a homewrecker, but instead as a sister in Christ. 
I think God wants our house to be a house of second chances. A house of restoration. A house of redemption. Listen, guys. There, have, there are some of you who are sitting here today, and people came to me, and they said, is so-and-so going to your church? And I said, yeah. And they said, do you know what they've done? And they went on to tell me. And you know what I said to them? I said, I'm so glad that they're here. This is right where they need to be. Now, let's extend that grace to every person in Winchester because that's God's heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that when we're sinful, you chase us down, and when we're self-righteous, you chase us down. And I pray you'll forgive us. Help us all to be able to live in that tension of truth and grace. They're both important to you. Help us all to live in that tension between justice and mercy. Both of those things are important to you. And only in you, Lord, can we find that balance. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive all of us self-righteous sons in here and you'll help us to do better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're gonna sing a song of invitation.